Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's great for kids doing homework, great for reading, great for writing, anything that you need to focus on. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments and more at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1129, with guest Scott Allen. Recorded Thursday, April 9th, 2015. Yeah, that's right. It's .NET Rocks. We're here again. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Campbell. I almost said I'm Richard Campbell. Because you, you know, say some, that. Because <laughs> they confuse us sometimes. And you know, if you said that, I would just say I'm Carl Franklin. Like, of course. I, I don't even react to it anymore. Hi, it's- I'm Richard Franklin. <laughs> and I'm Carl Campbell. <laughs> and this is .NET Rocks. <laughs> oh my God, it's a mess up day. So, you know, I'm pumped for .NET Fringe. Are you pumped? Uh, totally excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, the show's going to come out after it was over. Well, it was a great show. We had a wonderful time. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, but after that show on Saturday, April 18th, which is, when was that, Richard? That was like four days ago. Four days ago. Because I'm good at time warp. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know, we were recording this before we've got a .NET Fringe. Because if you record it after you publish it, it doesn't work near as well. But okay, so last Saturday, I think I spent the day in the studio working on track number five. Oh, wow. Of uh, Music to Code By. So I'm Uh, psyched about that. That's cool. And you haven't picked a color yet. No, the color comes last. Okay. That's color fair. comes last. I it's funny, I, I asked the Twitterverse for some suggestions and the first one was, You mean a color name? <laughs> <laughs> oh well if you haven't checked it out, go to mtcb.pwop.com. It's good Absolutely. stuff. It is good stuff. I like it a lot. Yeah. What's up, Richard? What have you been doing? Uh, you know, just hammering away. I'm prepping. Like, tomorrow we publish the, the Moore's Law Geek Out. Right. And I've just been reading and reading and reading. I have now memorized the width of a silicon atom because I'm that kind of guy. And when does that come up in conversation? Um, for me, remarkably often. <laughs> <laughs> I actually understand the problem now of what it takes to build silicon chips where the traces are only one nanometer across. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that in the Geek Out. You bet. Yeah. Right now, it's time for Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, on the 8th of April, Microsoft announced some really cool integration with Docker. Yeah. Yeah, with Azure. And we knew this was coming, right? Yep. So what they did is they announced some container technologies, but they also announced Nano Server. Yeah. And go to tinyurl.com slash MS Nano Server. Speaking of Nano, so what this does is, uh, what it is, is a deeply refactored version of Windows Server with a small footprint and remotely managed installation. And it's optimized, of course, for cloud and DevOps. So based on the current builds compared to Windows Server, Nano Server has 93% lower VHD size, 92% fewer critical bulletins, and 80% fewer reboots. What they did is they removed the GUI stack, 32-bit support, you know, WoW 64, MSI, and a bunch of default server core components. 
Um, there's no local log on a remote desktop support. All management is performed remotely via WMI and PowerShell. So there you go. They've got they they made a new server that is streamlined for containers. It's really really interesting to see what this ultimately comes out as because at the same time, hardware is getting so tiny. Yeah, Intel's now shipping thumb drives that are complete PCs. I saw that. Yeah, the plug on it is an HDMI plug. Yeah, like it looks like a Google Chromecast or something. Yeah, except that it's actually a PC, storage, memory, everything. It's Runs just a, Windows and, 8. Yeah, and you, you you plug it into your TV's HDMI plug or any other screen's HDMI plug, and then you use a Bluetooth keyboard and you're off. That is insane. <sighs> you know, ubiquitous computing, my friend. That's what it looks like. And imagine how well something like NanoServer would run on that. Oh, yeah, it would. In the video at uh, blogs.technet.com, where this tiny URL address points to uh, MS Nano Server, the this guy shows a couple of old machines with a hundred meg switch, yeah. and they go from download to uh, configure to reboot in three minutes. That's awesome. Yeah, but you you remember me build, building the bag, you know, with all, yeah. with all the computers in it. You imagine with something that size, a Nano Server. So here's my 60 servers. Yeah, the word server doesn't really apply anymore. I mean, well, it, and I'm laughing about the 80% fewer reboots because imagine how fast this thing boots anyway. Who cares? Yeah, right. It's going to be instant. Yeah. Anyway, love it. Awesome. Yeah, good good stuff. one. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1121. That's the one we just published from uh, the Nebraska Code Camp, mm-hmm. the state of Microsoft web development panel. Right. Which, you know, I should have known being <laughs> in the Midwest, everybody was going to be incredibly nice. Yeah. You know, you're just not going to get a knockdown, drag out fight from a bunch of Midwesterners. They even really guy, are. Even a guy like Lee Brandt, who's a big kind of intimidating guy. But he's a really, really kind and soft spoken. Yeah. So, and it was a really, I thought a really smart discussion all around. And, uh, and Mikhail Stilgard, who we have sent a mug to in the past, a Bulgarian fellow and mm-hmm. a regular commenter, but he had such a compelling comment. I thought I really have to read this. He says, I am surprised. The people take the ASP.NET legacy software issue so lightly. Yeah. In my opinion, the effective deprecation of web forms and even some classes of MVC apps, because don't fool yourself, it's going to require a lot of work to port your existing MVC apps mm. to ASP.NET VNext, mm-hmm. is going to cause serious issues. Now, I don't expect problems as severe as Python 2 to Python 3, which we've never talked about on the show. No, but apparently it was bad. Yeah. yeah, And I look at the same way as like what's happening with Angular now, where they're doing major breaking changes to go to Angular 2. Right. But in the Python world, the community actually split for a decade. Like they've gone in different directions, you know. Hmm. Um, And this situation could be even more severe than when Silverlight was deprecated. And people cried a lot about that. Sure did. Am I the only one who thinks that this transition will not be smooth? I am sad to see web forms go without a replacement since I do believe that the component model is far superior to the bare bones MVC approach. In many ways. I think the latest craze about React.js, which is a component framework, proves that. I hope that something like React or another component framework appears on top of ASP.NET 5. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I mean, part of me is like, you know, they've said pretty clearly they're not ditching system.web, that that's going to continue to be maintained and and have features contributed to and so forth. But it'll be interesting to see what actually happens long-term. I think part of this is they're just going to keep the two stacks running and see where people land. There may be two different markets here, though, don't you think? I t- tend to agree that they might actually both thrive. There may be the... Well, there's definitely the market that embraced MVC, which is the, 
you know, big scalable world-class web server app. Uh, and then there's the guy who runs a bar and just wants a web page. Yeah. And, and the software that makes no sense to be rewritten. Like it works. Why would you mess with this? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting to find out. I mean, there's certainly, there's probably something in the middle there. I mean, the guy, you, you know, the, the, the retail website kind of thing that, you know, nobody goes to or very few people just a point of contact. I mean, that, that, that's always been a, a, a small market, but, yep. but the, in the middle there, you know, small businesses that, uh, that don't have millions of hits, but may have hundreds of thousands. They may have a hundred thousand. They may have anywhere in between 10,000 and a hundred thousand. I, I also sort of think in terms of, you know, when Einstein put out his general relativity theory and, and, you know, they asked him, when is this going to be adopted widely? And he said, first, the old physicists have to die. Yeah. <laughs> right. Part of this could be it's just they're they're positioning themselves so that a generation from now recognize that a generation in software is what five years. Mm. There will be a tool that new people are using and just don't question worrying about the old tools. Right. And it's something we could actually throw at Scott when we uh, when we get past this. So, Mikhail, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps, because we got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And that brings us to Scott Allen. He is the founder of OdeToCode.com and a very famous plural site author who lives in <laughs> Western Maryland on the east coast of the United States. Scott has over 20 years of commercial software development experience and currently works closely with Medislav, building software applications for hospitals. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Carl. Hey, Richard. How are you guys? And I got to say, I, I took a comment off the panel, because when I go to the comments for your show, all they say is, Scott Allen is so nice, and he explains stuff <laughs> so well. It's just like, there's just no controversy in your shows, man. Everybody feels better after they listen to them. Yeah, you remind <laughs> me of the professor that everybody wants to get into their class. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no waiting. <laughs> <laughs> No waiting. Yeah. That that was an interesting comment though. On I actually did a plural site course recently on ASP.NET five, the next version. Mm -hmm. And some of the feedback I've gotten has been along the lines of do I really have to use a command line? That's one bit of feedback. <laughs> the, more, <laughs> the more interesting one was um does Microsoft does anyone at Microsoft still care about the people who don't have a CS degree? Interesting. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it's sort of a stroke on, is this just, just getting so complex now that your average work-a-day developer just doesn't get it? It's irony, isn't it, Scott? Because the one of the reasons Microsoft is so popular as a platform is that they embraced people who didn't have those CS degrees. You know, Visual Basic, Visual Studio wasn't wasn't as complex as it is now at one point. And the reason web forms took off was because they abstracted all that goo away. Yeah, really, if you think about the origins of web forms, what were they inspired by? They were inspired by Visual Basic DB. 6, which made it so easy to create a desktop application compared to um, guys like me that did some C++ with MFC. Mm. You spent half the time just wrestling with the, the C++ compiler and uh, on a couple projects where I would flip over and use VB, you know, creating a com object suddenly became so easy. It's like, yeah. I, I don't feel like I'm really working now. I'm actually solving too many problems. <laughs> right. I remember reading a blog post from Rocky Locke like that. He'd been working 
in Silverlight or something, like when the tools were especially raw, and then got pulled into a Magenic project that was a VB6 project, like not even VB.net, VB6. And he said, I'd forgotten how productive we were. Mm. Just how fast you built a form and stuck in code and just got, got stuff done. Yeah. Yep. And now, so the situation we're in now is pretty interesting with ASP.NET. I think there there is going to be a significant number of people who are going to be unhappy with this next release, which is, you know, we should think of it as the first release of a longer term plan. So right. things will obviously smooth out. But, you know, if you do web forms and you're looking for new things, you're going to be unhappy. If you do Visual Basic and you're looking for, you know, new support with this new ASP.NET stuff, you'll be a little unhappy too. Mm-hmm. So the, I don't know what the percentage is going to be, but I could certainly see, you know, 20 to 30% of the ASP.net population saying, what the heck's going on? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and saying, well, if I got to retread, I don't necessarily have to focus on Microsoft either, right? Like I could look anywhere I want to look. Well, I mean, it's interesting. We're getting closer and closer to different development environments converging. I've been doing some Ruby on Rails over the years, and I've done yep. some Node.js over the years, and now if I look at these new tools that are available for ASP.NET, it all is following some of the same. If you take a step back and look at it from 10,000 feet, there's just a lot of the same steps and building blocks there. They're just not that different anymore, really. They're not, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, it, it actually is really nice to be able to take concepts that I learned from Node and bring them over to Visual Studio and use middleware with ASP.NET. So that, hmm. that's a good thing. The dev environments have gotten closer together, but you could certainly say a lot about the differences between what's under those environments and languages. Like, you know, the, the richness of the .NET framework under C Sharp doesn't have a whole lot of competition. Sure. I mean, it has Java, right? That's right. And it, and it has static typing. <laughs> yeah. And what about some of these other... Uh, is there anything as rich out there as the, uh, as the .NET framework in terms of your base class library support? Well, certainly in the Node world, you have so many small modules to choose from that if there's anything you want to do, chances are it's already been written by somewhere and uploaded as an NPM package. But there certainly isn't a big cohesiveness to it, and and that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It's it's kind of nice to say, okay, I have the .NET framework, and I know uh, all the documentation is on MSDN, and, yeah. and things are, are relatively... Uh, follow some of the same structural patterns and design patterns. And it's stable. You you don't have to worry that that code in this namespace isn't going to work, you know, right. versus that namespace. So you go over into the Node world, you can find a lot of the same features, but, you know, one module was written by a, a Python programmer, so it sort of took a, a Python-esque style to it. Yeah. And another one was a Ruby program, and another one was a Java programmer. So you you, you put all these pieces together and it all works and it's all wonderful, but it, it's going to be a, a much different experience for people. Yeah. So what do you think? Do you think that we're, are we headed towards more people um, converging in, in terms of conventions and, and that kind of thing so that we're, we're, we're trying to create a homogenous world in terms of our development experience? Or do you think that it's just the reality we have to live with is that we live in this place where everybody does things a little differently? Well, I'd like to think that things are circular. So we go in circles. And I think right now everyone's sort of converging towards uh, a similar development model. But I think that really gives an opportunity to someone somewhere on some platform to to come up with something novel, uh, something that just works differently and and, um, gets people excited again. I I don't know where that's going to come from. I'm not much of a predictor, but I, I 
think something like that has to happen in the next uh, three to five years. Well, the irony that I see here, and I don't know, Richard, if you agree with me, but Microsoft has seems to have positioned C Sharp. Well, may, not maybe Microsoft, but it seems to have happened to C Sharp as being a sort of n- a, the new cross-platform lingua franca with Xamarin support and all of that stuff. Do you think that there's any possibility that that could gain traction outside of its uh, already, you know, insular network of users? Yeah, I think a little bit. I, I think with, uh, and, and this idea of having a core CLR that's coming along with the next release of .NET, this idea of a CLR that can run on Linux, I think yeah, um, that and the open sourcing of all the tools and the Roslyn tools, I think that gives C Sharp the ability to move outside of its uh, traditional home base. But um, what's just interesting too is how languages sort of are, are converging too. You see languages like the next version of JavaScript adding all sorts of features that people who have done C-sharp will be familiar with or oh, people yeah. who have done Python or Ruby. So it's like yeah. everything in the world is converging into eventually we'll all be using the same language, just it'll have different names. Well, I think our first exposure to this, how radical ECMA 6 really was, was talking to uh, Rob Eisenberg about Aurelia and the fact that he mm. coded it in that and then basically stubbed out how to make it work in an earlier version. Yeah, you know, what I find it interesting is we talk about the JavaScript environment changing a lot. Yeah. And certainly uh, if we did a show last year, if we would have been talking about um, some, some specific things like frameworks or build tools is a good example. Last year, if we would have done a show together talking about JavaScript build tools, we might've talked about grunt. And this year, if we were to do a show about build tools, we'd probably talk about gulp. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was a couple of releases of other things in between that maybe didn't pan out, but things move pretty rapidly. But if, I, I think if you take a step back and, and look at it, we've been very iterative so far. And if you really just think about big concepts, things haven't changed that much over the last few years. Yes, we mm-hmm. have a build process now for JavaScript. There's a lot of transpilation and compilation that goes on, but it really doesn't matter if you're using Grunt or Gulp. The big thing there was just the introduction of a basically a build step. Right. Um, ECMAScript 6, on the other hand, is significant. It is very significant. I think it completely changes the way that you would go about designing a framework or a library to deliver to front-end developers these days. It's, it's just significantly different. The primary difference is being the introduction of modules and the introduction of classes. There's now the ability to provide, um, or there's now the ability to build better abstractions, I believe, and compartmentalize those abstractions and have things isolated and not knowing about each other unless they really need to. It, it just completely changes the way I would go about building a library. Are you concerned at all about JavaScript not being embraced to its full potential? You know, when it when we get all these new great C sharp and Ruby like features by by the mainstream educational establishments, you know, that teach JavaScript classes in high school and in college and, you know, all the millions of places where all the millions of JavaScript tutorials that are out there on the net, those aren't just gonna come down, you know? Do you fear that uh, that it, that these new and great features will alienate people? I think so. I mean, it's certainly JavaScript. One of its strengths has always been that it's a very simple language. It doesn't have a lot of keywords. It doesn't have a lot of um, things like generic types and classes and modules and namespaces. All that stuff was sort of stripped away. Yeah. And you were just left with a language where you could do 
procedural programming if you wanted to, and you could do some functional programming if you were a little more advanced. So mm-hmm. there certainly is going to be a big challenge for educators and people to teach JavaScript if they want to cover any of these these new things that I think the cutting edge frameworks will be using all over the place. Um, unfortunately, I think there's another hurdle to to learning some of this new stuff too, which is in the old days, if you wanted to figure out how a web page worked, everything you needed was in view source. You could view the JavaScript, yeah. you could view the CSS, you could view the markup. Yeah. These days, <laughs> um, the, the JavaScript that you're going to see in a web page is probably not anything like the JavaScript that the original author wrote. Yeah, it's minified it's and it's in a file somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, even if it's not minified, it's been compiled from ECMAScript uh, 2015 into version 5 or something like that. Yeah. Or or TypeScript into JavaScript, you know. And I hmm. so that that that's going to be interesting on future generations to see how they, you know, can can they still learn a, as easily as as the people who used to just do view source. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little <laughs> bit more complicated now. You know, I pulled up the notes from your show which was almost exactly a year ago. Hmm. Because uh, you did do a show with us about a year ago talking about future JavaScript. That's true. And there was uh, a conversation around the Bower package manager mm-hmm. and the Q promise library. Yes. So of those two, I think Q is still going strong. Yep. Obviously, um, promises are, are in the next version of JavaScript now. And, and if you're using a library like Q on a browser that has native promises, it will just build on top of those. But um, still a lot of advantages to using Q. Well, and by, you know, it always sort of gets back to, so in one hand you say, oh no, they've made it native, I've wasted my time learning Q. And mm. on the other side I'm thinking, you know, one of the reasons that Promises is native is because of tools like Q mm. demonstrating people want these things. Yeah, right, absolutely. And and JavaScript has a, a very similar design philosophy to, uh, well, things like Node in, in, in that we're going to put in some of the minimum things that you would want from Promises. Mm-hmm. And now it's it's up to other people to form to make libraries that form opinions about how that should be used, which right. is what Q would do for you. Now, Bower is uh, another interesting tool if you want to jump around here a little bit. <laughs> yes. Uh, Bower was the package manager last year. And on this day today, I would still say Bower is very popular. A lot of people are going to be using it, but some people have wanted a little bit more from their package managers now. Um, Bower is a, a good tool. I mean, you can say Bower install and follow up with pretty much the name of any JavaScript library or framework, Bower will find it and put it on your file system. There's other packages out there now, like JSPM, which Rob Eisenberg uses for his framework, which go one step further. So I went to JSPM, install something. It's not only going to locate that library and put it on my file system for me, it's also going to set up a runtime configuration so that I can consume that library easily. I don't have to worry so much about file paths or, or where things are, or um, is it a node module versus a, bra- a true browser module? Is it ES6? Is it ES5? I don't have to worry about that. I just JSPM install Aurelia and start using it. Mm-hmm. So slightly more advanced. Yeah, it feels like between this year and last year, the package management side has gotten more fragmented, not less. That's true. There's the people have started forming, I guess, stronger opinions about what they want their package manager to do and, right. and what it shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I know one thing that people maybe didn't like about Bower a lot was that it created its own configuration files and things like that. Whereas JSPM says, "Hey, we're just going to tack on to the um, npm 
JSON file, configuration JSON file, because we know you're, you're already going to have one of those there because we build on top of NPM anyway. Right. And so, yeah, sort of a more modern way. But I guess this right. is the nature of these things, right? It's like you build a tool, you get it out there, you find out what frustrates people, and then you build a new tool. I mean, shouldn't Bauer fix their problems? It's interesting in the JavaScript world, I, I think, and this is just my feeling, you know, I don't, yep. I, I don't have any numbers to back it up, but it, it's kind of like, I'll build a tool, I'll put it out there. Um, people are going to like it. Some people are not going to like it. So they're going to build their own tool. And maybe I just don't, you know, I just keep going ahead with what I have. Um, I'm not going to try to please everybody because there, there's just too many people to please in that community. Well, yeah, and, different and, and they all have sure. different opinions, right? They're coming yeah, at it in different exactly. directions. This right. is about being opinionated. And their tools are opinionated as well. Quite often you're talking about someone who has a Java background who wants it to function like their Java tools, and that's not going to make anyone who does Ruby happy. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, so the, the, there's nothing wrong with the way that Bauer works. It's a particular style. And often I feel right. like, you know, before you've used it, you don't know that you don't like things about it. Like, you, you know... You, you don't, it's not that you didn't know it didn't do that. It's that you never had an opinion. It's not until you've lived with those config files for a while that you come to appreciate, hey, you know what? These make me unhappy. How do right. I make them go away? And you start, right. you start having more of an opinion about how you want your stack to work. Scott, do you think that we're headed toward a transpiler world where oh, JavaScript absolutely. becomes assembly language that no, no real developers even look at? Or not real developers, but mainstream developers don't even... Don't even go there. I'm positive about the first part of that question. I'm pretty positive that the, w the way forward, no one will be writing JavaScript that gets sent directly into the browser anymore. W with the language standards being updated, they plan to update it now every year. Mm -hmm. People will probably, well, I'm not going to say everyone is going to do this, but mainstream, you know, mainstream. Uh, we're always going to be targeting the, the latest version of the JavaScript language, which will never be supported by all the browsers we need to put it on. And, yeah. and we're always going to be going through some sort of translation process moving forward now. And, uh, and I think as things like TypeScript, I, I, I think languages like that are going to pick up steam. And again, that's, you know, writing your front end code in one language and having it compiled into JavaScript. So uh, I do really believe that uh, everyone's just going to be doing that moving forward. The interesting thing about if that position is that it supports browser fragmentation. It does, yes. You know, because that's always been my concern with the rate that browsers have been changing and the ongoing fight between Microsoft, Apple, and Google over browser behavior, because it just can't seem to agree on anything. <laughs> hmm. That we, I always figured we'd be victims of this. Sooner or later, it's like either we're going to pick a winning browser or we're con going to constantly need to run three browsers just to have websites work. Right. But maybe the tooling can just abstract it away from us. You just don't even know. You don't need to know. I think so. I, uh, you know, I think we've been doing that with libraries like jQuery over the years. But yep. I've, I've also just seen more of a pushback from, from developers and, I guess, IT departments in general in saying, you know, we would like to support IE9, but it's just going to cost us too much. So we're not going to do it. Uh, and that's something that we wouldn't have done five years ago. We, we would have never looked at a, a relatively popular browser and say we're not going to support it anymore but I, I see that happening more and more where people are drawing the line on, on what they'll support it turns out your job wasn't to take advantage of the, co of the cool new features in the browser it was to build a website that people need to use 
You know, exactly. I think we get lost every so often on that stuff. It's good to push back because, you know, if you're talking to a guy who actually helps build Chrome, he cares a lot more about browsers than you do. That's right. You know, That's he's right. going to be he's going to be very opinionated in that space. And, and you know, you've got to sort of push back. But I think it's a tough pushback to go. You know, I don't actually care that much. I just need it to work. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's not so much browsers that are killing us these days as it is the number of devices. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. Just the diversity of devices. And there's no end in sight, is there? Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. You got it. It's time to drag a JavaScript book off the shelf and drop it into the recycle bin. <laughs> drop it in the old garbage can. Old JavaScript books. There's a real questionable resource. Yeah, great doorstop. Keep the door open. Yeah, actually, it's time to give away Telerik DevCraft Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Telerik Next. This is the first annual global developer and customer conference from Telerik, held at the prestigious Hyatt Boston Harbor Conference Center in Boston, Massachusetts on May 4th and 5th. Telerik invites you to come and join with developers from around the world to learn about modern application development and Telerik tools and best practices. From web to mobile to desktop, no platform will be left behind. Register today at TellericNext.com to reserve your conference pass, plus the attendee party at the Science Center and a special keynote from Mythbusters host Grant Imihara. Use promo code NETROCKS for $50 off. Awesome, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Barry Burke. Congratulations, Barry. Golf clap for you, sir. I'm looking around, I don't see my clappers. Uh oh. Brandon's been in the office cleaning again. I can't find them. <laughs> what are you doing? All right, uh, they're not here. All right, somebody's been cleaning my desk. <laughs> Nothing good will come of that. Hey, <laughs> Barry Burke just won the uh, Telerik DevCraft collection. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to netrocks.com. Click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And uh, we also like to ask our guest, Scott Allen, if you had five grand to spend on technology today, what would you buy? So the first thing would be a pancake bot. If you I have seen these. Yeah. If you search Kickstarter for pancake bot, I think I think that's pretty neat. They squirt out pancake batter and it, you flip it over and it's R2D2 or something, right? Right. Imagine a plotter, but instead of ink, it's using pancake batter and instead of paper, it's a griddle. Mm. <laughs> I <laughs> I think it's neat just because uh, when my kids were younger, I used to make them pancakes of all sorts of different shapes, and they thought that was entertaining. So sure, yeah, you make a bunny pancake or anything like that. Right now, Eiffel you can Tower. actually load software to make your pancakes. Well, I'll tell you what, it's not just the shape of the pancake that these artists are using pancake batter for. They time it right so that you know the stuff that they lay down, the outline they lay down first, that blackens up a little bit. And then mm -hmm. they, you know, to make a, a medium shade, then they do those lines next. And then they fill in the rest. And that, of course, gets lighter when you flip it over. It's this multi-shadow shade kind of thing that looks 3D. It's uncanny, actually. 
All right, you, a pancake bot is less than two hundred bucks, so you have a lot of money left to spend. <laughs> well, <laughs> the rest he's going to spend on Bisquick. That's right. <laughs> I need a lot of batter for this thing. Bisquick. <laughs> I, I think the rest I just want to save for a Hololens. Oh yeah, yeah. I wonder yeah. how much that's going to be. Hopefully that would cover it. Hopefully I could get two, but you never know. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm hoping substantially under a thousand dollars. It's not under a thousand dollars is going to have a tough time being successful. Um, There's speculation they may be under five hundred, but I'm not sure. And I saw that just as a speculation on Gizmodo or something. Nobody really knows. No, no. But yeah, if it's under five, if it's under smartphone prices, then you're really talking about something. I'm with you, Scott. I already have a week cordoned off after build to do nothing but uh, learn. You know what the Hololens is all about. I guess they're announcing it at build. So nice. Hope so. I got a week. Something like that. Something like that. Time shifting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we talked about Aurelia with uh, Rob, but, mm. you know, you're the dev in the field there, Scott. Are you using this in, in production? I'm not using it yet. I think it's still just a little bit early for that. I think okay. uh, a couple more months it'll be ready. But I, I have looked at it, and I have to tell you, um, it was just after Rob had announced it, and I I, do, I dove into the source code and I'm actually browsing through the source code on GitHub. I haven't even cloned it yet, just browsing through it. And it's like, mm-hmm. there's little babies with wings flying around my monitor. It's like, <laughs> oh, this, <laughs> this is the code base I've dreamed of as I've been working with ECMAScript 6, where everything's just modular and small and, and proper abstractions. It was just great. So uh, I actually talked to Rob shortly afterwards and said, hey, I, I want to use this, and in fact, I want to be a contributor. So I'm actually nice. helping him out with a few things with that framework. So, yeah, Rob's got that ability, you know. He he has consistently built stuff that was important for us. Yeah. And it's uh, and it's really kind of exciting to have a chance for him to make a break, take everything he's learned, and go at this again. And Rob has a great empathy for developers, and I think that's mm-hmm. one of the outstanding features of all the different frameworks that he has put together. He has always, you can see this in the chat rooms of uh, with the framework developers, he's always asking, you know, which would be simpler? What would be better? What would be yeah. easier? What makes sense? And it's not about, you know, following some specific architecture or following some design pattern or doing something because it's fancy and new. It's, it's always about what can we do to make this just work the way you would expect? And, uh, you know, I've seen him say things like, if you have to go to Google to figure out how to do something, then I feel like I've lost, you know, I just want this framework to be usable. And so what's the focus of Aurelia, in your opinion? The focus? Yeah. What are we trying to do here? Is it all about the data binding? Yeah, to some extent. I mean, at the end of the day, it's for building the client application, the single page application, whatever you want to call it. So a lot of that is about taking values that are in JavaScript objects and pushing them into the DOM, pushing those values into the DOM. So there's certainly binding, uh, one-way binding and two-way binding. That's a large part of it. And the, but, but there's all these other things that, that all the frameworks have that it, it supports too. So the routing, uh, dependency injection, mm-hmm. uh, testability, extensibility, custom elements, custom HTML elements. So you want the ability to, to create your own element and have that in the DOM and working and loads up your own JavaScript and things like that. It, it'll do all those things. Nice. And very well organized in the latest language so that you can, you can get your head around what it's actually doing. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the code is so much more readable 
than I would say the average JavaScript framework of, of last year, just because it's written with the newest version of JavaScript, which right. allows you to make things a lot more modular. I think it's great. Well, I just remember reading through jQuery and going, I am not smart enough. Like, oh my God. <laughs> but here's the funny thing is that a lot of people found jQuery easier than JavaScript. And then that's when JavaScript kind of really exploded when jQuery came on. There. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think using jQuery was one thing. Going into the source code, if you didn't have, if you couldn't, you know, follow closures and do functional programming in your sleep, then yeah. it's pretty easy to get lost in the source code. Well, and I guess this gets into a whole discussion of the reason I use the library so I don't need to know how to do these things. Why would I read this? True. Absolutely. Well, and, and back to our earlier discussion, you know, where things are going, do you think things are, you think if I pick a, a dog like Aurelia and say, you know, I'm just betting the farm that, uh, you know, Rob Eisenberg is going to continue to keep th the new stuff abstracted away from me so I can focus on learning Aurelia and I don't have to uh, become a, a extremely proficient JavaScript programmer. Hmm. Uh, well, I, I, I think that's a, a pretty safe bet. I, I instinctively hedge everything, but of course, yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that would be a pretty. I'm good talking bet. about mainstream. I'm, I, I see a lot of people mm. using Aurelia who are already really good JavaScript developers. I'm just wondering if we're headed toward that. If we're headed toward, uh, you know, just putting like like everybody did with web forms and Windows forms before that. You know, you sort of that's what I'm going to focus on rather than the ins and outs of, you know, doing things manually. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think Rob has visions for um, making this better for, for mainstream developers and for people who used to like technologies like web forms that had a very compositional nature. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. It's going to be good. Aurelia, the new web forms? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it that oh, way. Oh, man, I can, I can see the tomatoes <laughs> flying in my direction already. <laughs> Don't do that, Franklin. No, I'm. But I also got an. Inc I had sort of a hint from you. Is this an experts library? I guess I don't know if you mean to say that, Carl. But it sort of is. Yeah, like, that's sort of what I'm getting at yeah, here. It's like this is only for experts. Is it only for experts, oh. or do you think that uh, rather than rather than studying a whole lot of JavaScript ins and outs, should I focus on a library like Aurelia? Maybe it is Aurelia. Maybe it's not. No, I definitely think this is geared towards uh, people that want to put together an application without learning all the ins and outs of what really has to happen in a browser to make that work. Okay. Right? So, you know, the, the model view, view model type of pattern simplifies a lot of things. And mm. that can be one of the benefits of a framework like this. Yep. If I know I go to my server and I get this, some data and I put it in this object and now I just put, you know, a few little template things in my HTML, it's just going to work for me. And I don't have to understand observables or uh, any of this other crazy stuff that actually happens in JavaScript behind the scenes. Or I don't have to understand what it's polyfilling for me or, or any of that. It's a much simpler environment. And here's the thing, you know, there, there are people out there who are going to say, well, I just do everything myself. And if you don't, don't do it yourself, then you just whatever, you know, you're, they're the people that look down on those who don't do it the hard way. And, you know, that, that's a kind of a silly argument. I mean, it's not that, it's not that I couldn't figure it all out. It's that I don't want to. And I, frankly, when a customer comes to me and says, can you make me a website? I want to build up as much as I can, as fast as I can with, with the best tools that I can find. 
right? Right. It's really hard to make sweeping statements and say, yeah, this is the framework everyone should use. There's a lot of people I know out there that, that they don't want to use any framework. Sure. They want to they want to squeeze the last microsecond out of every page load time and page execution, and they want to be programming as close to the metal as they can. And there's other people who that that's not their world. You know, they're not building the front page of Amazon.com or something like that. They're building the application that sits in a hospital and it's used by two or three nurses and you just got to get it done by next week. Right. Which I think is a far more of the web pages out there. You know, this is the, the great mass of web development is specific purpose, specific customer base. Like that's what's important. Yeah. And it's definitely as Hanselman puts it, the dark matter developers, they're the sure. people that you don't hear from as much. So you, you sometimes wonder if they're out there at all. You know, but that's a kind of a misleading term, isn't it? Because it sort of means like they're, it sounds like they're insignificant. But these guys make up, you know, one thing you know about dark matter is it makes up most of the mass in the universe, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not saying they're insignificant, but uh, they're, they're the people that don't um, they're not spew visible. things out on Twitter or have yeah. blogs or they just go to work and get and things done. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're, they're passionate about putting applications out there that work for people. And they're probably not so passionate about showing up with other developers and arguing about the finer points of one language versus the other. Right. No interest there. Yeah, they're just here to get stuff done. Yep. But it, it makes me wonder if, like, one of the things, I'm, and I'm making a big callback all the way to the, com the comment in this show here. <laughs> if what Microsoft's done by splitting system.web and, and ASP.NET vNext is to see what our the communities look like, what the audience base is for both. You know, sort of getting the folks that are head down building stuff all the time to pop head up long enough to go, hey, no, you're messing with my rice bowl here. Yeah. <laughs> Just in terms of thinking, like, what if a if a Rob Eisenberg could could build a clean bridge from web forms to a more modern architecture? I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities in the coming years for for people to branch out and try some different things like that for, for people other than Microsoft to try some different things. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that's sort of the question mark here is prove me that there's a prove that there's a big enough market. There's a space out there that this is actually needed that, and that they'd be willing to learn it. Right. Cause it's, that's two different things. Like, are you there and do you care enough to change? <laughs> Can I, if I make the path easy, you know, light enough, like in some ways, I feel like if you missed web forms, if you're coming into web development today, your life is so much better. Like you, you don't have the scars. You don't have the hate for JavaScript that we that we grew in the 90s. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you've missed out on so many awful things that to, to get in now is to live in, a, I think, a much more pleasant world. It's got some complexity, sure, but it's also got a lot less baggage. Right. I think we're... We've reached a point where we're not trying to hide those things which were so important. Turns out it's kind of important to understand things like HTTP and uh, JavaScript and yeah. HTML markup and CSS. And, you know, <laughs> let's try to hide some of the other complexities of web development and, and, and not try to hide some of the things that web forms tried to hide. Here's, you know, this, that's an interesting topic all in itself. And that is, what are we protecting people from? You know, are we protecting people from realizing, you know, from making a mistake that, that, you know, when they make the mistake, it's actually valuable. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, are we protecting him from, from, oh, that's how that works. Let me change this code that I'm doing to, you know, do you know what I mean? Because this is how most of us learned programming, you know, with these things that we've taught ourselves, we make a mistake, we find something, oh, there's a bug, we fix it and we move on. Are we, what, are we protecting ourselves from that or are we protecting ourselves from a lot of unnecessary code, which is, I think, a really good thing to protect people from. But, you know, from making a mistake, I'm not so sure. I think we are protecting people from unnecessary code and unnecessary abstractions. I think a lot of those have dropped away. I don't really think the industry right now is doing a very good job at keeping people from making errors or, or even debugging, I think, is for some reason it feels to me like, like we're moving backwards in a lot of those areas. <laughs> I think it's valuable to to experiment, make mistakes, fail, re- refactor, figure things out that way. Oh, that's true. No. That's absolutely true. I agree with that. Yep. I hope, uh, I, I just hope Visual Studio 2015, one of my frustrations with the pre-releases of Visual Studio 2015 is they don't support this new version of JavaScript. So I have to go in and turn off all syntax errors in JavaScript files. Oh, and, and rely on other tools to tell me about that. And to be honest, a lot of times um, I, I'm just using other editors when I work in JavaScript files and hmm. ignoring Visual Studio completely. I know um, that's something that I've heard they're working on. And uh, I, I know how Microsoft works and you know how Microsoft works and your listeners know. And we all know there's these sort of compartmentalized teams. Hmm. And, and there's one team that's responsible for this. And uh, ho- hopefully they can deliver on it. I, I just want to be the unreasonable customer and say, you're Microsoft, just fix it. Someone has to fix this. <laughs> it, need, it needs to just work. And absolutely. I mean, this is the, the, the language standard, and uh, you have first-class first support for C-sharp and first-class support for TypeScript, but it would be nice if you could support JavaScript too. Yeah, I know. Keep up with it. Totally with mm-hmm. you. And it's probably just a matter of time, I'm sure. They, they've done a good job of keeping up. Yeah, I, I'm sure they'll come around. I just hope it's in time for the release. So. Yeah, that's, like that's got to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. We should mention you are using a beta. Absolutely. It's, it's early. Still early. Yep. Well, and I'll give you this. They haven't, at least they're not keeping any secrets. Like, they've made it pretty clear what they're up to. I think it's why we're talking. They haven't done it yet, and we're all talking about it. It's a much different company than it was a few years ago, isn't it? Oof. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's really nice and refreshing to be able to have people talk to you openly and freely, and actually see them, uh, you know, take take issues on GitHub because their their framework or their technology is now open source. It's really mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. Have you been interacting with them much at that level? Like, do you hang out on GitHub and and you know? provide feedback and input into what they're building? I'm on a, an insider's list where I, I make an occasional comment, but uh, yeah, I should actually get onto GitHub and see what's out there, see what issues are there, raise some of my own. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And, and uh, you know, part about making that the thriving community, we've always had these insiders lists, but now effectively everybody can be an insider. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the only difference between the the insiders list and and the GitHub issue list is that if you complain about it on the insiders list, no one else gets to see it. So, right, yeah. you should probably just move it over to GitHub. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't. I just don't think any. You know, if you don't want to see, it, you just don't go to GitHub, right? But the reality is, there's no reason to keep this as an insider's model anymore. Really, yeah. I don't know that they're treating them any differently. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's a strange new world. So, uh, what are your what are your hopes and dreams for Aurelia? Would you do you have any things, any suggestions for Rob, or any suggestions for people who are just kicking the tires like you? I would suggest that people who are building single page applications and HTML5 applications to take a look. I think it's going to be a really solid framework. Rob is a, a genius developer. And like I said before, he has a lot of empathy for the people that are trying to use his framework. So he's always trying to make it easy and simple and straightforward and extensible. Mm -hmm. so I, I think it's going to be successful. All his, all his previous work has always been successful. Um, so I, I don't expect this one to be any different. I expect it to, to take off throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. He, he has a track record. It's certainly worth taking a good long look at. But it is still early days, right? This is not something you'd deploy right now? Uh, it's a little bit early. I, you know, deployment isn't a big issue because once you have something working, it's going to be working. But if, if you have to continue developing something, it's just that there's breaking changes about once a week right now because it's so right. early. So as we move into the summer, I expect that will be much more deployable or, or maintainable. It's, it's a really good time, I think. And tell me if you agree, Scott. It's a really good time for you if you want input on Aurelia. You know, if, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Because if you can jump in now, you can change the future direction of the framework before you know, someone goes down a road and there's a whole bunch of code laid down that would have to be ripped up. Right. Absolutely right, Carl. Because there's a lot of smart guys out there that listen to the show that would like to be an influencer in that. And there Rob is, is the and, kind of guy who's just listening to everybody. Yeah, and, and Rob doesn't have any problems uh, handing things off to people and say, hey, you know, go, go try what you want to try and come back to me and uh, we'll work on it together once you get a little bit further. I know actually from working with this team that someone has come in and, and said, I want to do... Uh, a validation plugin and someone has come in and went and said, I want to do a localization plugin. And in both those cases, Rob is, you know, let those people contribute actively to those pieces and, and get them working in the framework in a way that makes sense. Yeah. So what's next for you, Scott? What are you up to lately? Oh, well, it's, it's just a combination of uh, doing a plural site video here and there and a conference here and there and working at a, Metasolve, which is the, the, the hospital healthcare company. Yeah, sounds good. Change the world, man. We love it. And keep making those plural site videos. I try. <laughs> <laughs> you succeed, my friend. You succeed. And uh, well, thanks for talking to us. It's been a great hour. Thanks for having me on. You Always bet. a pleasure. Definitely. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com 
For RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a